Welcome back to another episode. I'm Sabrina Lynn, and this is Rewilding. Do you ever feel like, bah, there has to be a better way to do this life? Do you ever feel like, I just need to break out of the monotony, the daily routine, the eking my way through things? Like, there has to be more purpose. There just has to be more love. There has to be more aliveness in me. There is, I swear to you, I promise you, this is exactly what we share in today's episode, today's conversation with the one and only Martha Beck. We talk about living this life, living from this, I like to call it living close to the bone, like living close to the bone, living from like the marrow of our being. Like that place of aliveness, that place of deep soul truth. Uh, it's beautiful, this conversation. Also, it's very tangible. It's very practical. Two more things I want to share with you before I give you the episode. One is make sure you listen to the end. Martha reveals some beautiful, amazing, and inspiring things that did not make it into the book. That got cut out of the book. It's, I'm not gonna reveal it. It's so good though, it's so good. She walks into it saying, I hope this doesn't offend your community. <laughs> we ended up going, no, this will inspire the community. So stay tuned, that happened probably the last 10 minutes of our conversation. The other thing that I wanna share with you is we speak about community and we speak about the practices and we speak about the things that support us to live from this place of aliveness, this place of deep, honest, authentic, raw <laughs> truth, this razor's edge of life. And we speak about this group called Living Close to the Bone. It's a stunning community. It is a stunning tribe of men and women, people from all over the world. It's deep, it's vulnerable, it's an energetic vortex that holds you to the fire, to that fire of life, to that fire of truth. And the good news, it's open. It only opens up twice a year, but as this YouTube video is coming out, the group is currently open. It's $40 a month. I spend more on chai tea than that per month. <laughs> you also, when you sign up, you get over $400 worth of bonuses, over $400 of workshops that you can dive into right now. A three-day challenge called Living Close to the Bone, uh, Nothing But Soul, I think that's the exact name of it, is in there. For those of you who possibly wanna do the year membership, which is get 12 months for the price of 10, 400 bucks, you also get seven-day reunion experience. Those of you who went through that seven-day online retreat will know that it <laughs> kind of rewires every aspect of your being. We work deeply with Sacred Union, deeply with, yeah, I won't say much more about that, but I just wanted you all to know before going into the episode that that's totally open. Um, it won't be open for long, so if you're hearing this, check the links down below, check the link up here, and if it sings to you, I'll see you live. So they're, they're live events every month where uh, I'm 
holding a space, opening some doors, giving us some practices, giving us something to focus on for the month. And the whole group is together on Zoom and it's powerful and it's beautiful and it's love-filled and it's community. Like it's good and proper circle. It's good and proper community. And I think after this year and a half, two years of living the way that we've all been living through COVID, community is so valuable. All right, enough. Enjoy this episode with Martha. Martha, welcome to the show. Sabrina, how are you? I'm so happy to be here. Oh my God, my heart is exploding, literally exploding that we get to do this and have this conversation together. We need a defibrillator. We need two, one in each coast. We need an unnamed, unknown number of defibrillators is what we need. I'm so happy to see you. I love the podcast. Gosh, I'm so happy to see you. And I'm so happy that we get to share this conversation with our community and the amount of times that I have recommended the way of integrity to our different groups and our different spaces, our different workshop programs or retreat programs. And now we're here and we get to talk about it. It is an absolute honor. So, okay. The honor is all mine, darling. Can I start off with a big, broad question? Well, yeah, because I'm a big broad. (laughs) Sorry, it was just out there. I had to. Oh, I had no idea you were such a comedian. It's so good. (laughs) All right, hit me. Hit me. Okay, so this particular body of work. Yes, yes. How would you say that it fits into everything that you've put out created in the world it is the distilled essence of everything i've been fumbling toward for the last 30 years um in some ways it it overlaps with the other work that i've done but it here's the thing as you go through time it's like it's like simmering a pot of stew it it distills down and one day I, w- I realized, oh my gosh, all the stuff that I've told people about how to be happy boils down to one thing. And that is be yourself, your true self and nothing but yourself. Be one thing, whole and undivided and refuse to leave yourself ever again. And the word for that is integrity. It, it literally means just intact. It doesn't mean virtuous. It just means whole. And I was like, oh yeah, there's pain of all kinds, but suffering, mental suffering always comes from leaving ourselves. So we're not in integrity where we split into two things, which is duplicity. And that hurts because the pain is meant to show us where we're split and take us back to our wholeness. And when you get there, you're one with yourself and with everything else. And there is this enormous bliss. So yeah, it goes further. It goes deeper uh, along the same path I've been trying to follow for 30 years. Yeah. Can we dive into this place of bliss? So it's almost like, I feel like walking into this backwards would be a good way to go. So if we start at paradise, Satori, this, this kind of, I think it was four stages, fourth stage, or just this place of bliss and, you know, why this path, why integrity, why be so honest? Why do, why do this journey? Why, why do this? Well, it's because I just have a very low tolerance for suffering and I'm very, very greedy and selfish. (laughs) What I've been obsessed with for a long time is 
people who say they've gone beyond suffering and I've met some of them and they, I believe it's a real deal. Uh, Byron Katie, if you're people have heard of her, Eckhart Tolle and Anita Morjani, these are people who have had what in Asia is called an awakening. And I was uh, an Asian studies major in college, spent some time over there, learned some languages. And that whole philosophy is imbued with the idea that they, you can get to a state where you do not suffer anymore, where life is joyful, full stop. And now Westerners have looked at the brains of people who claim this and they say it is a real state. It not only is a real thing, awakening, but our, they can measure it in the brain. And one neuroscientist says it is a thing to which we are biologically predisposed. We are born seeking enlightenment even though very few people have ever reached it. So I've been obsessed with that for years. And I, I started to find examples, like I got to know it really well. I read everything I could find on it. And there's such consistency over different historical periods in different geographic regions. You know, ancient stories from the Native American traditions saying the same things with slightly different metaphors as Dante's Divine Comedy, as Walt Whitman's Song of Myself, as, you know, Teresa of Avila. I'm, like, people have been waking up throughout history and they all describe it the same way. And I wanted me some of that. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that's where I started. And I love that you start there too. <laughs> so can you, this is one of those like full frontal questions. This is just raw, open, honest. Yes. The question is, where would you, how would you describe your current experience of life in relation to this bliss state, to enlightened state, to the place beyond suffering? I spend a lot of time there. I have yeah. to. And it's not, this is something I've learned. I've been so fortunate to learn from people who are still alive because there's a kind of housekeeping that goes on. There are people, like I think Walt Whitman had a full awakening, but I think he sort of um, lost the, it's like walking a tightrope. In fact, one of the shamanic traditions that I studied actually teaches people to walk tightropes to tell them about enlightenment. Isn't that like the oddest things come into this. So like I asked Byron Katie, would you be in this state of continuous bliss if you didn't constantly ask yourself, are my thoughts the truth? And then root out anything that's not true. And she said, no, I would have regressed. And that's what happens. You have to keep cleaning out your mind as long as you're human, because human minds have a tendency to slide into suffering. So I can slide into suffering. It's not nearly as deep as the suffering I used to experience, not even, not even in the same world. And then there are times when, a lot of times, when there is just this extraordinary bliss that is, ah. Oh, like people, and I, I understand how much pain and suffering has come from the pandemic. And I feel, I genuinely, like I weep for the people who are suffering from it. And I, people say, I don't want to be shut up in my house. And I'm like, a glass of water can transfix me so entirely that I feel like I'm being loved by the angels because I'm looking at a glass of water. Like it's, when you're in the present moment completely, the soul just becomes infinite and vast. And you can, it feels like you're traveling through universes and the, and the world pixelates into light. You see 
strange visions which don't matter. And the only thing that matters is this moment here and the consciousness that is experiencing it. And that is not limited to your head. It is not limited at all. So yeah, I, I, I is it. Yeah. <laughs> so I want to weave in one of the groups or programs or communities that I talk intensely about your book in or give as a resource in is a group called living close to the bone Ooh, i like that and it is this walking the tightrope the whole aim of this is this staying so close like the razor yeah. edge of truth the yes, razor yes, edge yes. Of truth so i love that you're sharing that and so different, Sabrina. Most people are like way over, like way out of the truth. But they, can, could you just give me a tiny half step inward toward it? I love meeting people who are like, I'm, I'm almost always on it, but I veer off a little. That is an, un I just want to say kudos to your group. That's very unusual. Well, and it's not that that everyone's at that place of like, but it's moving closer and moving closer and moving closer and moving closer to yeah, that. Yeah. And the, almost the, building up the practices and the, the kind of soul stamina yeah. to keep asking. So it just becomes, this is just way of life is yeah. am I on it. Oh, no, I'm just a tiny hair off. Yeah. Ah, there we go. I love it. I love that you have people around you who are doing that. That is, that will save the world right there. I love that. That's how you're describing this. Um, so the other thing that popped up when you were just sharing this is talking about, you know, just the current state of affairs and how much pain and suffering yeah. can come from that. And a glass of water can transfix you. But I would love, we talk a lot about the feminine path. Yeah. In the work that I do in the podcast. And I mean, the podcast was born from rewilding for women and it was all about embodied. It's like, bringing spirit into matter, like divinity into the body. And oh, I am right there with you. Yep. So what I would love to talk about, and this comes up often in our community is the bliss, even in the emotion yes. of pain or grief. It's not that that is a marker that we're off that razor's edge of truth. No, no, no. And I would love for you to talk about, I would love for you to bring words to this because this is something that comes up so often. Oh yeah. So pain, I used to go to a pain clinic that had a sign over the door that said pain is inevitable. Suffering is optional. I, I'm sure you've heard that before. So pain is a clean thing. It is a warning that there's something wrong. You need to pay attention to this part of your body or this part of your integrity or whatever. And, um, if there is pain you can't avoid, like the pain of loss, that's part of the purification of the self uh, as it lets go of ego. It's the breaking up of ego and you can actually feel it. Um, in psychology, they call grief the healing feeling because it, it feels devastating. It's extremely painful. And yet, even in the midst of it, you can sense that you're being, that the part of you that's being destroyed and broken is the part that is separate from God part that's separate from divinity. So um, I just made friends with Jill Bolte Taylor, the woman who she had a Ted talk called my stroke of insight. She lost 
all, she was a 37 year old neuroanatomist at Harvard and she had a huge stroke that took out the left side of her brain almost completely. And uh, it took her eight years to build it back. And she had no language. She had a lot of her cognitive faculties were gone, but the right side of her brain was fine. And she's just put out a book called Whole Brain Living that talks about the left side of the brain does fear and control. And the right side of the brain does creativity and a connection to the divine. So she built back her brain, but she chose not to build back the left side as much as the right. And <laughs> I was talking to her about grief. Both her parents died in the same year recently. And she said, oh, so much grief. Oh, it's delicious. And I was like, wait, what? Go back. And she's like, oh, my God. To be, She's so effusive. She's like to be alive and human and yes. able to know love and the gorgeous play of grief and loss. We go to movies to see that. It's amazing. And um, without fear and without control. And by the way, the two parts of the brain that show a difference in people who are awake uh, are the part that, show, that establishes a sense of being a separate self and a part that uh, has a sense of control. When those two things go dark, that's when people feel awakened. Loss of self, loss of control. The things that frighten us most are the things that lead to the awakened state. And so she lives that. And I watch her, you know, she twisted her ankle. She's like, it's amazing. It hurts. How great is that? And it's true. I just had foot surgery and it really I've never had that much physical pain in my life because they dinged a couple of nerves. And the first two days I was afraid of it. The third day I wasn't afraid of it anymore. I started meditating and working with the pain and it became divine, delicious, amazing. And I can't even explain why I sound like a perverted sadist, but I'm telling you pain is okay. The soul came here to, to experience pain and it's not afraid of pain. Yeah. The ego, so just get the ego out of it. You'll be in joy. Yes, bringing words to this and the way you're bringing words is so beautiful to bring a different angle to it and a different way of describing things and how I will um, oftentimes explain it is so alive. I'm on the kitchen floor and I'm bawling my eyes out because I've just like deep loss, deep grief, but yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's just raw energy moving through me and it is so so big and it's so beautiful it's just i'm this alive i get to be this alive even in the grief and it it's pulverizing something in you like it like i can tell it's killing something. when my son was diagnosed with down syndrome before he was born um i was only 25 i'd never i was not a spiritual person and um I could feel these, it was like being in the mortar and pestle of, of the divine. I was being just pounded. And even at the time, I would have given anything to get out of that sensation. It was horrible. And at the back of my mind, something is going, take it, take all of it. Take this whole accreted, egoic, culturally formed arrogance that I have about what it means to be human. Like, crush it, destroy it, pulverize it to sand because I don't really want it. Yeah. And I didn't know what was coming at all, but I knew that the destruction in some sense was a creation and it always is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <sighs> 
Gosh, I'm loving this. Um, okay, so I could dive. I'm glad you started with the bliss part. That's so much more fun. Yes. <laughs> so I feel like I could stay here the whole time, but I know we need to make our way backwards. And so I'm just going to leave it open to you. Like, where should we dive back to? Well, it's kind of like once you felt that, and what happened to me was I had a couple of early experiences, partly because of that uh, time with my dealing with my son's diagnosis, where I felt the presence of something so loving, so comforting, so radiant that I knew it was, I knew it was home. I knew it was also my basic self and I knew that it was running the universe. And so then I had had these, it was like seeing flashes of, of life behind a curtain that you didn't know was there. And it was absolutely stunning and radiant and, and home. And like, I had to get back. So if your listeners have been there, or if they're listening to this and think, well, that sounds nice. Like, what could I take that would get me there? Um, just hold that feeling and then go back to where you are right now. And where you are right now is ordinary. You're, you're sitting in an aging human body that will ultimately die for sure um, in the middle of a pandemic and nobody knows what's going to happen and the world is heating up and all the animals are dying and basically everything sucks. (laughs) So here is glory and here is now. Okay. Now plus X equals glory. What, how do you solve for X? And that's what this book is about. And the premise is that the path to it, it lies within yourself. And the the signposts are the the signals that your soul is sending you all the time. So you look at whatever is causing you suffering and you say, take the premise, the truth will set you free. So here's my belief. Everything that makes us suffer psychologically, emotionally, is because we believe something at one level that at a deeper level we know to be untrue. Suffering is the signal that we have bought into something that our true selves really don't believe. So we're serving a different master than our own truth and we don't even know it. It happens when we're tiny. Um, I, I write in the book about how I used to ask audiences back when there were audiences. Remember audiences? Um, I used to sit, stop in the middle of a speech and go, is everyone comfortable? And they'd say, yeah, oh, yeah, fine. Thanks. And I'd say, no, no, seriously, are you comfortable? And they would say, yeah, completely comfortable. Are you sure? And they would say, yes. And then I would say, well, if you were home alone right now, how many of you would be sitting in exactly this position? And no one would raise their hands. And then I would say, why not? And it actually would take a long time for the, somebody They just sit there going, huh, that's weird. And then someone would say, oh, I'm not really that comfortable. And then everyone would say, yes, we are uncomfortable. And the problem wasn't that they were uncomfortable. The problem was that they didn't know that they were uncomfortable, even though they knew they were uncomfortable. They knew it perfectly well, but they didn't know it cognitively. So what happens is the, that left side of the brain, which deals in language, connects us with culture and culture tells us to sit in a straight back chair with your feet on the floor and pretend you're comfortable, 
Don't complain. So culture sells all out our nature. Our nature knows when we're comfortable or uncomfortable. Our culture tells us when to be comfortable in situations that are completely arbitrary. So those splits is we don't get into a loss of integrity because we're bad. We get there because we're trying so hard to be good and we sell out our, our happiness, our comfort. So wherever you're not comfortable right now, there's a deeper truth trying to get you to something your mind does not yet know. And your mind cannot know it. Um, I'm writing another book right now and it's based on the 1380 manuscript called The Cloud of Unknowing. Ah, yes, I love it. And my favorite quote, which is sort of the, and it's not, I won't talk about it in the book, but it's the basis of it, is he says, God cannot be understood, cannot be thought about, only experienced. So here's this European sounding, just like an Asian master. He says, I am willing to give up everything I know to love the one thing I cannot think. <sighs> Chills everywhere. Yeah, he, that anonymous, whoever they were, male or female, they had it going on. And that's what that's what suffering is trying to teach us, to give up everything we think we know, to love with our whole selves, something that we actually cannot cognitively hold in the mind, but we can feel it with our whole selves. And that's what our brains are predisposed to want to do. So that's start where you are and begin saying, what feels uncomfortable in my life? And what could I do to make it slightly more comfortable? And then do that and then do it again and do it again. And at a certain point, you'll come up against something that says, well, I can't do that. I can't just stay home from work. And your suffering will increase. By this, you may know that this is a lie. And you have to figure out how to live so that you can not only hold the truth in your mind, but act in accordance with it. This job is not making me comfortable or happy. I do want to pay my rent. How can I find a true way to survive in this culture without selling my soul to the company store? You know, and it's, so that's the path of integrity. Find out what makes you sad or, or suffers or causes suffering. Find something more comfortable, move toward it, and then deal with the fact that the culture will move against you. Yes. The reason you're out of your integrity is that you have been socialized to forget your truth. And when you regain your truth, the culture will say, oh, how very dare you. And you have to do it anyway. And then you get to the bliss. It's as simple as that. It's just, it's just that. Can we dive into um, the pushback that we'll see oh, from yeah. friends from culture? Can you just bring some words? To, I know your story is it. I mean, you talk about, and I only know a tiny portion of your story from what you shared in the book, but it is so beautiful and so inspiring. Oh. And Martha, I just feel like this could be so incredibly powerful for others listening to just hear this because I know we rub up against this. I'm going to lose my family. I'm going to lose my social status. I'm going to lose my financial security. I'm going to, can you bring some love and some words to this? Cause you bring, oh yeah, I'll just stop talking, please. So yeah, I do tell some of my own story in there and, and it's the experiences that I was privileged to be given in this life are 
fairly extreme, not very, not, I mean, I'm not suffering. Right they're now. extreme, Martha. I'm pretty well, confident we can extreme. say they're extreme. For a very, uh, you know, for someone who's a white middle-class American and, and has all the privilege and entitlement of that particular role, I've had, I've had some pretty gnarly experiences. Yeah. So, but I know there are many who have worse, but um, so I seem to have been destined to go against whatever culture I found myself surrounded by. So I was, I'd been going to Harvard for years and I'd gotten a doctorate or sorry, I was getting my doctorate after getting my BA and my MA from Harvard. And that's when my son was diagnosed with Down syndrome. And um, the doctors and my advisors said, you've got to have a late-term abortion. And I'm pro-choice. But for some reason, my nature said no. It said no very emphatically. And plus, I was having all these experiences, which I was afraid to admit to. But they were frankly psychic. I was, um, you know, I would think about loved ones who were far away and I could see what was going on around them. And then I would talk to them and, and confirm that what I'd seen was accurate. And I was like, what? Like this blew my little materialist mind. So I was very curious and it seemed connected to the pregnancy. Plus I already had bonded to the baby and I was like, no, I just can't do this. So I, I kept him and <clears throat> the community around me was not not in favor. The doctors told me it was like having a malignant tumor and not letting me, them remove it. And I was 25 and a kid and they were telling me I was bad. And they were all like Harvard doctors and Harvard advisors. And I just looked at them and thought, you know what? I, I'm not sure that you're a really happy person. Like my, my grief and my sense of alienation made me look at them from a far distance and I would hear them talking and I'd think, you're talking to me out of terror, out of anxiety and misery and this desperate desire to prove that you're smart and you're better than other people at various things. And I just thought, I don't, I don't want that. And this child, whatever it turns out to be, may have the capacity to experience joy. And is that not more important? Joy is its own excuse for being. So I broke that mold and, but in order, because the surrounding culture was so hostile to it, I went back to my, I grew up in Utah in an ultra Mormon family. So I went back to Utah um, because I thought people would agree with my choices there about the baby and they did. But I also had developed this belief in the, in the divine. So I thought, oh, well, I'm going to go back and be religious this time. So I did all these religious things, realized that I was getting closer and closer to God and that I needed to leave Mormonism, which is the one sin worse than murder in the Mormon like catalog of sins. So I did leave the Mormon church, which meant that I was, they, they say you're in outer darkness. You never get to connect with anyone who loved you. And so there went like every friend I'd made before the age of 18. Um, I also, because I was busy trying to like get down to the bone marrow of truth, I started having flashbacks of sexual abuse, which I think is rampant in Mormon culture, sexual abuse of girls and women. And so uh, 10 years after leaving, fleeing Utah, I wrote a book about that experience. And that made me the target of, because my, Perpetrator was my father, who was a pillar, a pillar of Mormon faith. And 
yeah, that brought me death threats and legal threats and uh, almost bankrupted me, threats against my children. Um, but I, my truth required that I speak for the women who couldn't get out and who didn't have Harvard degrees and who'd gone through that. And I needed, I needed to stand for them. And um, so I did. And those are a few of the experiences that have taken me. Oh, and I, I, I realized I was gay. So then even outside of Mormonism, this was a long time ago when like people were running for president based on no gay marriage. And so that wasn't like, hi, you know, hi, non-Mormon world. I'm also a lesbian. Yeah. So it just time after time, I found myself in circumstances where to, to honor what was deepest and truest in the, the, the love of the core of all our nature. I had to, uh, I ended up doing things that got me really, I wasn't beloved. I was kind of be hated. <laughs> and still, this is what I want to tell people. If you do something and your parents don't like it and they don't talk to you for 10 years, it's still better. You will still heal more by following your truth than by selling yourself out. Anything you can lose. As it says in Jesus said, what does it profit a person if they gain the whole world and lose their own soul? <sighs> yeah. Yeah. So go for it. Don't lose your own soul. And guess what? You think you've lost the whole world. And, and another thing Jesus says there is if you leave your father and mother, nobody talks about this because they're like, surely Jesus wouldn't talk about being mean to your parents. He's like, if you leave your mother, mother and father to be in the way of truth, then you'll have hundreds of mothers and hundreds of fathers, like the, the gifts waiting for you on the other side of your own claim to integrity are hundreds of times better than the things you're afraid to lose. Yeah. And you just have to take that on faith. And to just circle back to words that you shared before is it's, we're trying to be good. Yeah. Like oh, desperately. compromising our soul and our truth because we're just trying to be good. We're trying to be good daughter, good son, oh, good yeah. person based on not our own true nature, but based on societal norms, social norms. What they want us to do. Yeah, even, I mean, people would would scream at me when I was doing my book tour. All these people would show up um, on the book tour for that book about leaving Mormonism. And they would be yelling, you're just, you're just a, a raging, angry elephant who's tearing apart the faith. And I was like, I waited 10 years and there wasn't a molecule of me that was angry when I wrote that book. I was, yeah. I'd, I'd mashed all that out of myself. I wrote it because I felt absolute empathy and love for my father, for the other people who had had their minds twisted by this odd culture. There was nothing in me that wanted anything for them but happiness, nothing. Yes. So I knew that. So when they accused me of, of being hateful, I just knew inside my heart what was true for me. And that is enough, guys. The truth is enough. You will, you will end up on a solid foundation if you stay, stick to the marrow of your own truth. Mm -hmm. And to go back to the mortar and pestle, Oh, yeah. This grinding out of the anger and oh, right. Yeah. And so just this is such a beautiful example of that. And then what you came to is I just have love. Like so I wrote it out of this. I didn't write it out of fear or anger or no. rage or any of that. 
I had been, that had been ground out, released out. Yeah. And now I'm just coming from this place of love. That's all that's left. I think it's David Eggers who said, the truth will set you free, but first it will have its way with you. (laughs) I did get knocked around by every normal human emotion that happens to somebody who's been violated. And I tried to write about that process as a natural thing that you go through. I talked about the stage I went of anger. There was a dead tree in my yard and I took an ax and I took all my anger and I put it into chopping down this dead tree, chopping it into pieces. And then for a whole winter, using it as firewood to warm the family and thinking, if you just set fire to a building because you're enraged, it destroys. But if you channel your anger, if you shape it, if you use it to warm and to cook and to light, then even anger becomes a sacred thing. And this is what I was trying to say. And there was like one page in the book about anger and everybody would be like, you, you admitted you were angry. And I was like, well, it's kind of normal if you've been raped to feel like offish about it. It's not like, well, that was fun. <laughs> so yeah, the, the thing is you get to this point where people are trying to shame you and push you back into a way that's not true for you. And you just look at them and feel, I love you so much. And if you could see, you know, your words of, of anger and castigation, if you could just look into my heart and see how deeply I do not care. <laughs> you would just give up because <sighs> once I'm in my own truth, you don't, you know, there's nothing you can say, including I abandon you forever that will make me leave my truth. Yeah. Because if I abandon my truth so that you don't abandon me, we're just going to be miserable liars together. You know, it's nah, the equation doesn't work guys. Yeah. 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 Overall. And I really believe that we're just spiritual beings having a human experience and that we dust ourselves off at the end of of the day when we're dead and go, whoa, that was a ride. And then we look around and see the person who abused us and go, oh, my God, you played that part so well. And he goes, I know. And it sucked. Oh, my God, it was horrible. I hate I'm so sorry. And you're like, no, it was just that's humanity. I just I really and I, I'm not making light of, of people who have suffered from evil doing because I've, I've been there and I've been to the darkness and I'm here to tell you on the other side, there is nothing but love. The truth is pure love, no matter what. Yeah. Yeah. What would you say to, I don't know, to give some it's like, I feel like we're on this side of it going, it's so beautiful here. Just keep telling the truth. Just keep being honest. Keep being okay that things are being stripped out of your life or that it feels like you're being stripped. Oh my gosh, I have to let that go too in order to live my dream. Oh my gosh. And that, have I not been stripped bare enough? Yep. Is there anything else to share around to those who are in that spot? Oh, I've been there. I mean, I didn't even mention that I was very, very, I was in a lot of physical pain for many years and still occasionally um, have bouts of it because I have several autoimmune diseases that are supposed to be progressive and incurable and they're very painful and um, mostly minor in remission. But 
really everything went like I used to love to run not anymore you know there goes you know the ability to run I love to draw and paint oh lost the use of my hands for several years I mean like really this too this too you're taking this too so I remember like trying to to exercise on crutches in a back brace and then my knee was tied up and I just took this crush and crutch and started bashing at a bush covered with snow because I was so miserable that everything was being taken from me. But what happens then is when you get down to the, I think I had an ego that was so tenacious. Like I would tolerate a lot of suffering. I would push through a lot of pain. I just had this foot surgery, as I said, and it was extremely painful. And I had to have my foot above my head for the first two weeks, which is, it's very hard to do anything with your foot <laughs> above your head. And so I would work, but it would, I would just be sweating with the pain. And then I'd put it down and I would, I would, I literally could not do anything, but just lie there. And I went into the pain with my mind uh, after a couple of days, at first it was too scary. Then I went into it and into it deeper and into it deeper. I was trying to find the center and the circumference. And I was just doing mindfulness meditation on my own pain. And then I felt like I was looking at the molecules and then the atoms and then the subatomic particles and then just energy. And at that point, I, I did not notice any physical pain, but the, the, there was just this incredible happiness that just exploded in me. And I actually thought about the, the line in Job where it says, in my flesh, I shall see God. And even as a kid, I thought, Really, you think the, something created the galaxies and you're going to like, it's like somebody who's going to sit with you and like have a cup of tea. Like what is wrong with you? That is not going to happen. And yet you know, in my flesh, I will see God. That's just so dumb. And then I realized that by, by going deeply with my mind into my own foot, I was going so deep into my own flesh that I found God inside. In, in the infinitely small as in the infinitely large. And I was like, oh my God, that actually works. So the more that gets taken, like John of the Cross in, in medieval Europe, he was this, uh, you know, this mystic who had uh, this incredible relationship with God whom he called the beloved. And his brother monks were so furious at him for being like the teacher's pet um, in terms of God that they made him live in a coffin-sized hole in the ground. Oops. Um, can you see me? I got a note that says, see you perfectly and hear you perfectly. Um, they put him in this coffin-sized thing with bars over the top, like a sewer grate. And he lay in there and he couldn't even move. And did it separate him from his beloved? No, it gave him more access. You know, they're just, they couldn't do anything to him that would keep him from that. And that is, that is the power. That's why they say love never fails. It's not that you don't, you get everything you want if you're a nice person. It's that no matter what is taken from you, your essence is divine. Your essence is love and it cannot be destroyed or created. It cannot be confined. And once you find it, you're free no matter what. Yeah, just the way that you, Martha, you have such a genius for bringing this into 
tangible, I mean, the path of awakening, the path of enlightenment to bring it down into tangible, practical, real world strategies and conversations and examples is, it's your genius. It's glorious to witness. I stand on the shoulders of giants. I just read a lot. Einstein said genius is knowing how to hide your sources. <laughs> oh, I ever do. We're at a time when we have access to the to, to the mystics and geniuses of every age, and we have a desperate need to, to learn what they knew because we are going to fry ourselves if we don't in so many ways. So I think there are a lot of people, yourself included, who are on this ride and, and the energy is picking us up and going, okay, now go tell this story. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. But I just, I don't feel like it's me. You know what I mean? That's exactly how I am being done. Are usually right? the way like I am being done. I, I don't, even, we'll finish a retreat or something. Somebody's like, oh my gosh, Sabrina. I'm like, I don't even remember what we did for four days. I don't know. I could never repeat that. I have no clue. I just get out of the way, right? Exactly. I, I wrote this whole book based around Dante's Divine Comedy. And about halfway through, I was like, why am I doing this? I, I wrote a proposal saying, I will write a book on integrity and I will use Dante's Divine Comedy. And I, then I started and it wasn't until I was in the middle reading Dante and going, oh my God, this guy is a spiritual genius. I was like, what? When did I decide to use Dante? I have no idea, no clue. But I was dreaming about the dude. By the end, I was like, Dante was my best friend, and I would dream about him every night. And, I'm, and I felt like I was having this. The last thing I I said in the book was, uh, you know, he gets all the way from the dark wood of error through the the hell of realizing his own false beliefs and then through purgatory where he has to walk his talk and then up to the heights of paradise and at the very end of this epic poem he encounters the source of all things you know and it's this unfolding light that is beyond description and he's he's ready to step into it and he changes in the last three lines from past tense to present tense and he said, the whole thing has been past tense. And, and then he says, and I become one with the love that moves the sun and the other stars. And I read that and I was writing it into my book. And suddenly I literally, in my mind's eye, could see this famous portrait of Dante, which is in profile. And in my mind's eye, he turned and looked straight into my eyes. And I thought, oh. Oh, he didn't mean the present in 1342 or whatever it was. He meant the present, capital P, which is through all time. It's eternal, which means outside of time. He's looking at me as I write these words. He's looking at whoever's reading them. Okay, so that happened. And these are the things I don't usually tell people in interviews because they think, no, no. I love <laughs> that you're revealing the secrets. Yeah. <laughs> This you seem to be you seem to be facilitating it. You're mm. a catalyst. Mm. Mm. <laughs> <Not> that <laughs> the question that I was I was meditating this morning and I was feeling the question to ask you is, which I think you're already revealing anyways. But it was what didn't make it into the book. Oh yeah. Um, 
what didn't make it into the book was okay. I'm a, this may just if this offends your readers, readers, not go for it. Just okay. So I had to be in complete integrity because I'm writing this book about complete integrity. And I just did a podcast with my partner Rowan Mangan, and we actually talked about this. So I I realized I was gay when I was like 31, and I uh, fell in love first ever lesbian relationship with with a woman named Karen Gertis, and she is magnificent and tremendous. And we'd been together for like 20 years. And then while I was, I, I was doing this sort of integrity cleanse, everything was integrity, 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 integrity. And Karen came to me while I was writing it. And she said, um, there's, there's this Australian poet who's living um, in a nearby house. She was visiting from Australia. And she said, I'm, I have the weirdest feelings toward her. And I thought, oh my gosh, my partner has fallen in love with someone else. And I looked inside myself for, for my reaction, my genuine reaction. And it was like being hit with a truck full of joy that was literally trucking joy to Joy, Illinois for a woman named Joy. There was like so much joy in me. And I was like, I love you. And I'm so happy for you. I can't wait. This is going to be amazing. So I said, let's, let's all like get Rowan up here. Let's talk. And so we all sat around and talked and we, nobody was really, everybody was like feeling their way, but there was this force pulling us together. And I had so much fun. And I thought, this is great. They're going to be together. I'll move into the guest room. I get to have another family member whom I love. Like, I didn't love her. I, geez, I really love her. <laughs> About three months, and this was almost six years ago, we had to face the fact, and I've never said this on anything. I mean, I wrote it in the book and my editor said, too much information. But this is the God's honest truth. The, we realized that none of us could live without the other two. Wow. So we've been together for six years and we have a one-year-old baby and like, and everybody was like taking bets on how long it would take for us to explode. And I did, I was not on this. I was not, not into this. In fact, what I kept saying is I can't do this. I have to tell everyone. I can't lie. I can't just, but it was just like, why would you go away from such enormous amounts of love? And it just, it was, yeah, there was no way out. And so this is the deal. I went to Harvard to choose to have a child with an intellectual disability. I went to Provo, Utah with my Mormon family to become a lesbian. And then I left Mormonism and started practicing polygamy. (laughs) (laughs) And the whole thing is just because every single day is lived as a completely blank slate. I don't have... You go away from culture with integrity. You go to nature and culture says, this is how things should look. And no matter what happens to me, I keep getting into situations where I don't look the way the culture says I should look, but being this weird way makes me so freaking happy. And it's led to such joy for like my other kids and my life. And it's just been pure sweetness. But now maybe a whole bunch of your listeners are going, okay, I was in and until now, and now I'm, I'm not in. <laughs> oh no, I think it's going to be the opposite. I really? think it's like, thank God, finally, like permission to really blow up the box. 
Yeah, it's like permission to really blow up all of the cultural norms. Like, let it be as weird as it is, as long yeah. as it's true. That's all I've got, and it can be this. It can look like this. It can it it can look any way. Yes, yes, yes. Like the kids who now not kids, but a lot of people who are transgendered or or non-binary. My my daughter's partner is non-binary. And it's like, I think that we've been living in this dual system, this system of duality in which everything has an opposite. You know, the opposite of life is not death. The opposite of death is birth. Life is the field through which nature carries birth and death. So people now, the culture has reached a point where it's breaking. It's breaking, it's breaking the ecosystems. It's breaking our hearts. It's breaking our relationships. It's breaking our institutions. And, um, and it's breaking our bodies. And there are people saying, I reject the duality of gender. Yes. yes. That is not the truth. The truth of my soul is not gendered. The truth of my soul is not life or birth and death. It's life. It is not, it doesn't fit into your boxes. And uh, I'm so resistant to, I still am such a people pleaser in my ego. Mm. Oh my God, I'm a total slut for approval. And I keep doing things that make people just go, <gasps> How very dare you! And how insanely perfect that is for your ego, right? Just that I always say, like, delivered on a silver platter. Just exactly. For- I was like, gay? No, everyone hates it. Okay, now everybody's okay with being gay. Three-part relationship. Go! Like what? I can't. You must. I can't. So- you will. You will. Uh- yeah, yeah, so I took I, that in the book, and then they took they made me take it out, and I was like, whew, dodge that book. And then here I am telling you. <laughs> <laughs> I um I my whole system lit up when you were talking about the younger generations and what they are bringing in and the gift that they are and the way that they are just nope. I'm not fitting in that. I'm not fitting in that. You need a new language around gender. You need a new language around sexuality. You need a new language yeah. around relationship. And I think we are at such an amazing oh, it's exploratory phase of who are we? Yeah. Like, what, if are, we, we, what are we? Yes. Yes. And what is relationship that serves where we have evolved to now? Because my grandparents' relationship does not serve who I am, right? And yeah, yeah. And I think, you know, there's so much darkness rising and you see it like, uh, you know, my heart is just shattered when I read about Afghanistan or, and that's one thing I realized, the joy of being connected to the divine means that you feel more of the sorrow of the suffering and that, that it rips you up because God cares when people are suffering, but the human soul loves experience and isn't afraid of pain. So we go through it and um, there's all this darkness from COVID and from all the things we talked about. But at the same time, because this system is dual, a light is rising. And here's the difference. The The dark side, the violent, the angry, those are very loud. They make a lot of noise. They make a lot of fuss. And when you sit in your room and slide into the awakened state, the stillness is unbelievable. 
it is so still. I've just sat in meditation sometimes just like, and the only word in my mind is still, still. It's so still. So what gets our attention? So the light is rising and the stillness is rising and it's totally invisible, but it's so powerful. Mm-hmm. So don't for a moment that the loud side is winning. Oh, you are speaking my language. Talk about these, it's these undercurrents, right? It's, yeah. it's not less power. It's just subtle. It's, subtle. it's not as loud. It's not as in your face. It's yes. It's, and it's, it's, it's coming up through everything. I mean, do you realize like 99 point, and this is literally 99.9999999999999% of us is empty space. Nothing can harm space. Nothing can warp it or destroy it. We are so much more space than matter. And when you, when you lock into the stillness of space, you realize it is alive. And the idea that the Taliban can destroy it or that materialism or the patriarchy can destroy it is frankly kind of hilarious. But we get to play this crazy game in matter to see if we can bring into matter that lasting purity of the love of everything, right? Like, can we do this in monkey bodies? Let's just play and see. Yeah. And if we take the microcosm and the macrocosm and we just talk about the individual journey and the mortar and the pestle right and yeah, the yeah. being ground out to be moved into love to be moved into love and your share of your beautiful story and we just go and each of us to reflect on our own beautiful stories as we evolve and to go that's just what's happening on a grand scale in my opinion in my feels is rather rapidly because everything's being delivered on a silver platter. Yes. Like, yes, it's painful. Yes, it's it's horrific. Yes, it's it's grinding us. Yes, it's stripping yes. us bare. But it's it could not be more perfect for us right now, right? And that that sucks. But it's perfect. It's so perfect. It's dropping us to our knees. It's it's crushing us. It's bringing us to soul. It's yeah, bringing yeah. us to love. Absolutely. And I believe we opted in. We were like, here, give me the stamp where I get all those rides. I'm in. And then we get here and we're like, Ooh, wait, I don't think I like this ride. Too bad. <laughs> yeah. I always joke that I didn't read the fine print. Exactly. Like, oh, I'm sure I opted in. I'm sure the whole thing was written out, but I, I missed the fine print. There are some things I'm like, eh, I could have skipped that. Uh, and then your former self goes, no, no, no. This is the way to the best part. I promise. Uh-huh. Exactly. I'm so happy to talk to you this way because I talked to a lot of people about this book, but nobody goes to these places. Oh, I was just, I had no idea where we were going to go, Martha, but I knew, I mean, I can just feel, yeah, just there's such depth and such wisdom and yeah. And I'm just so glad that you were able to have a space that I could create a space where you could bring through the stories that didn't make it into the book and some of the deeper things and the wow this is the like weird stuff and weird after all these years yeah and you give space and space nothing can harm it and ultimately you and i are just a just a skiff of matter on on this 
universe of space that is loving the game, loving the joy of it, the drama. And the connection between the two of us is what in Hinduism is called the splendor of recognition. The God in me looks at the God in you and says, you're me, I know you. Yeah, so everybody out there listening, same thing. Oh, you're us, we're you. <laughs> we're connecting again. Uh-huh. Oh, wow. Oh, Martha, I could talk to you forever, but I know we're right at about an hour and I would love to just open the door to, I don't know, sharing one last thing, whatever it is that pops in feels to come through in this moment. Okay, here's what comes through. Um, this seems so weird. While I was writing this, I'm not kidding. There were Dante was there helping me. And I'm not, I don't think I lived up to that great example or anything, but I got help. And wherever you are, however horrifying or stripped bare your life may feel, something is with you, something very specific and very focused on you in particular. And it wants to comfort you, whatever they, it, him, her, whatever. You are surrounded by aspects of consciousness that are here with you on this journey. And all they want is for you to ask them for help and support and you will receive it, but they will not violate your agency by pushing it upon you without your asking. So just ask, let your, let your science mind go free for a minute. Actually, you know, it's, well, that's a whole nother thing. Science is real guys, but this is too. Let your skepticism go and ask for help and then accept what comes and you will find yourself in a universe with far more loving friends than you ever thought you had. I want to be asked, ask them. I can feel like the whole team of aspects of consciousness in whatever form that they take just comes in and they're like, and we're ready. You ready? We're ready. <laughs> yep. Just say go and we're in. Yeah. Yeah. And to just reflect that I can really feel your connection between Dante and yourself. And well, just I don't know. that it's just almost the embodiment and the allowing it. Yeah, just to share it and feel that deeply and felt it all the way Aww. through listening to the book. I had to listen to the audio because it's just beautiful to hear your voice. And there's a different, for those of you listening, for me anyways, there's a different transmission that comes through the book when you listen to it. Um, so for whatever that's worth, and it might be different and opposite for others. But yeah, it was really, really beautiful that you read the audio of the book. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you for inviting me here. It's such a privilege and a joy. And Martha, I know we've talked about the book and I tell everyone to go get the book or get the audio, but is there anything else that you would like to invite people to, or I don't know, just share. I don't I like, I have a website. I don't go there myself, but <laughs> I have people putting stuff up that, um, you know, folks ask for help and they, they find articles I've written or things I recorded and, you can find stuff there if you're interested. And uh, yeah, if, if, the, if the spirit moves you, but if it doesn't, don't bother.
You're all that. Whoever's out there, you are all that in a box of cookies. I love it. Martha, thank you so, so much for this, for everything. Thank you, Sabrina, for everything you're doing. And thank all of you who are here with us listening and hanging out. It is an absolute honor. (laughs) 